Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Matt Prey, Merrick Scopel, Jared Mack on this Friday edition. We're portaling. Uh, none of us are leaving the show to my knowledge. None of us are leaving the site. Uh, but we are going into the portal because it's a it's a podcast focused entirely on the NCAA transfer portal. What's to come for the Oregon Ducks? December 5th is the date to know. That's when players can officially enter the portal. A 45-day window will open. And some guys have already made their intentions known that they're going to enter officially on Monday. Um, some players have actually been offered by Oregon that are in the portal. Because if you're an FCS player or if you're a graduate transfer uh, or if you are someone that saw <laughs> uh, on the YouTube Breaking. If, if you're uh, if, if you watch the show, uh, Jared Mack has declared his intentions to enter the transfer portal. <laughs> I sorry, uh, unfortunately, Miami, here I come. I figured out I could uh, add banners to the bottom of the screen, and it's really just a problem for everybody else. I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> but FCS players, graduate transfers, and and players who have uh, coaches, head coaches, leave their programs have access immediately to the portal. Um, so that's why some guys have been in, able to be added in and have been able to be contacted. Oregon's made two offers um, there. We'll, we'll break that down. We'll break some position groups that they need to look at. And then we'll get you going towards portal season, which starts Monday. And we're going to do another podcast, I think, Monday night, kind of going over all the big transcriptions here. But let's start with the ones that we know. Um, there's been a couple of guys that have entered the portal or I guess made their intentions known they're going to. Uh, it started off during the season with Seven McGee. That should be noted. And now in the last couple of days, we've seen some, I think, big names within the fan base, not necessarily big names on the field, enter the, trans- enter the, tr- the portal. That's running back Byron Cardwell. That's wide receiver Dante Thornton. That's quarterback Jay Butterfield, and that's edge defender Braden Swenson. Um, I think you can argue that all four of those guys or five of those guys have had moments, whether it was individually a couple plays in a game, uh, maybe it was a couple of weeks, or maybe it was a spring game that they looked really good, but they've also had moments where they've been on the other end of that stick where they've not looked good at times and it's clear the playing time was not in their favor or what they wanted it to be moving forward yeah i think the 
the way I'd put it is these are all, as Matt said, pretty high-profile names in terms of, like, Byron Cardwell is a player the fans were really excited about after last season. And Jay Butterfield had a great spring game, won over a lot of people there. Braden Swinson, I think people maybe liked the upside more than the production, but he did have a big sack against Ohio State. And obviously Dante Thornton um, had numerous long pass catches, but the, the totality of all of those players' careers were – not immense and certainly and I got out one don't want to diminish it but I don't think any of these players with the exception of probably Thornton had much of a plan in, in Oregon's future like I, I, I don't look at Butterfield as a player who I'm not sure ever really would have seen the field in any serious capacity uh, maybe as a reserve I, I liked the talent I think he's a capable player I bet I bet he'll do well I think all these guys have a chance to do well at their next stops <clears throat> um, but Cardwell was clearly running fourth, fifth in the running back, you know, room before, uh, you know, an injury. I don't even know how we really want to qualify that. We've kind of heard a bunch of different things about what actually went down with Byron. I don't know if it's really our place to share it, but he wasn't in, he wasn't in the rotation this season. I don't think you expect he would have been next season. I think Thornton had a chance to come back and, and potentially win a role. I think that was in the cards. And I don't know what you expect with Swinson. That was a guy who I thought, Really high. I thought he was going to be really good this season. Yeah, and he played. I looked it up, but 120 snaps. He played less snaps than Justin Flo, who by the end of the year was barely playing. So, none of those guys by the end of the season, with the exception of Thornton, were really contributors. And outside of Thornton, like to me, Thornton is the one loss that I would say like the upside was there with that with another significant, you know, off season of making some strides and, and, and improving his game. He could have come back and been. <clears throat> your number two receiver or your number three receiver next year and been a consistent contributor. The rest of the guys, I think I don't want to make it sound like we're just totally dismissing him because I think they were all quality pieces. I don't know how much you really expected from any of those other players going forward. So um, this is the way the portal works. There'll be a, another batch and probably a much larger batch that enter the portal officially on Monday. And we'll again be doing a pod, I think a podcast in that, that evening kind of reacting to some of the most up-to-date information we have. But I think so far you go, well, it's the way this works. I know it's hard for fans who who really get attached to players, but that's just the way things are right now with the portal where you're going to expect a lot of your roster to turn over every offseason. And for Oregon, it's already begun. And to me, outside of Thornton, I think all the losses are just kind of, I don't, again, I'm not trying to be too dismissive, but pretty ho-hum in terms of the long-term and even short-term kind of impact. I think Cardwell could – be a bigger loss, but he just had nowhere to go in terms of in, in the rotation at Oregon, as long as Bucky and Noah were sticking around and Jordan James was a true freshman. I still think Cardwell's really talented and obviously he was injured at some point this season and didn't see the field after the Eastern Washington game. Um, there just there just wasn't a path for him. I still think that he can be a good player, just like I think Dante Thornton could be a good player. Um, but like to Eric's point, these are all names that uh, have sentimental values with the fan base and with social media and the recruiting platform. Um, four of the five dudes were four-star four recruits coming out of high school, bigger names, except for Swinson, who was, you know, turned into a bigger name at Oregon just because you know, he had some he had some good moments and he's a great personality and I think he's a wonderful wonderful person to talk to or at least interview, but. You know, sometimes these guys just don't pan out. And, I mean, Thornton, outside of the last three games or the last couple of games of this season where he only is really getting this playing time because Chase Cota is injured, um, you're probably not going to see as much potential in him as you would now. Um, 
if Coda stays healthy, you know, he's going to be somebody who comes off the dot. Thornton's going to be somebody who comes off the bench like he did at the beginning of the season and catch maybe one or two passes a game. Um, I still like his potential. I still think he's a tremendous athlete at his size with his speed. I still think he's going to be good somewhere in college football. But like to Eric's point, these guys were potential dif- potential contributors to a football team. But, um, you know, Byron Cargo only gets in because of all the injuries last season to C.J. Burdell and then to Sean Dollars, who was out for the entire year outside of that. And this year he just gets lost in the running back rotation and then gets injured and then never comes back. Um, you know, there's not a lot of contributors that are going into the portal, but it's going to seem like there are because of those spring games and because of those, you know, one game out of 12 uh, performances that these guys have. I, I mean, come Monday, there's just going to be a ton of players. And we've been talking about this since uh, Josh Pate was on the podcast where he mentioned that this is going to be a very hectic uh, transfer portal season and you've already seen some of that with some of the names who have gone into the portal from other schools like Treshawn Holden from Alabama or something like that um, it's going to get even crazier come Monday uh, I think it's actually going to be kind of exciting it's going to be somewhat like uh, like an NBA free agency to see like what names enter the portal but there are going to be names that Oregon fans I mean I'm not projecting anything, but there's probably going to be names that Oregon fans are like, wow, I can't believe he's entering the portal. I think you just have to look at what this defensive or offensive staff did with that player this past season and then say, oh, well, if they don't see it, if the prior staff didn't see them being a contributing member of this offense or defense, then maybe there's a reason why they're not a contributing member of this offense or defense. And I'm not trying to dismiss these, these guys as players and as potential impact guys down the road, but it, it, if it didn't work here, it may work somewhere else. And and that's the whole point of the transfer portal is to give these guys the opportunity and the freedom and the ability to go to another school and see if it works there. And it, it just didn't work here at Oregon. I think Cardwell's going to put up numbers and people are going to, there's going to be people that will say, Oh, well, he could have been doing this at Oregon. He should be doing this at Oregon. But the reality is he went healthy during the month of August during fall camp. He got beat out. Mm-hmm. Buggy Irving is a better running back than Byron Cardwell. Noah Whittington is a better running back for than Byron Cardwell for what Oregon is doing. And the rotation showed that Jordan James found a role and Sean Dollars found a role. And Byron Cardwell was at the bottom or near the bottom of that depth chart. But there was a clear divide between the top two of Bucky and Noah. And when you've got four or five running backs and you have a player like Byron Cardwell who's talented and will go on and, and do big things somewhere, I think, you have to leave. You have no choice because you're going to sit. You're all the same year. And that that's, you know, that's kind of when you talk about, hey, let the, you know, the cream rise to the top when you hear in, in athletics. That's what they did. They found four or five guys all the same kind of range. Of, of age and eligibility and they let the best players emerge. And it just happened that Byron Cardwell wasn't that guy. Um, I, I do think if you're an Oregon fan, don't freak out about the number of guys that transfer. Like Jared said, there's going to be guys that are, are players that will leave, but we're, we're expecting we as in 24 seven sports, like 1500 people in college football 
on Monday to enter the portal. That averages out to like 15 or, or 12 guys per team. Yeah. Some of them it's going to be a little bit lower than that. We might see a team have like four guys. And we might see a team go like 25 transfers into the portal. Um, it, it's it's going to be everybody. It's not going to be an issue that's strictly just Oregon. And we should also note, you see this at – programs regardless of portal windows opening or not um head coach gets hired from outside the program guys transfer immediately then there's another bunch of guys that come in and say hey the past coach he did not he didn't play me he didn't know what i could do this guy he's going to see my opportunity or it's i'm going to stick around a year new coach new system i'm going to prove to him that i should play and the same season happens again, and they get upset again. This guy's not seeing it. I'm, I'm, I'm not getting the playing time. I'm now. I gave him a chance. I'm now bouncing. We're gonna hit that second wave for Dan Lanning, December fifth. There's, there's gonna be guys that stuck it out a year, thinking that they would earn more playing time because of a new head coach. It didn't happen, and now they're gonna leave. So. We're, we're in that stage now where there's going to be another wave of transfers after giving Dan Lanning a chance. And that's no fault to Dan Lanning. It happens everywhere at every school. And I, I saw this posted on a message board, and I thought, I just think it's smart, and I probably would have come to the same conclusion. But just I think before people have knee-jerk reactions to the portal being bad for Oregon, you need to see what the returns are, right? Like Oregon's going to lose – as we said, most schools are going to lose about a dozen players, maybe a little more than that. Let's not say, oh, man, Oregon got crushed by the portal until we see what the other side of that is, who they bring in. Because I think we're also expecting Oregon to be very active in, uh, in going after players, as Matt said. And we're going to get to some names in a moment here, a couple of guys that have already been offered from the FCS level. There's going to be obviously a lot more from the FBS level. Um, Monday isn't the end for the transfer portal is basically my point. There's then going to be a – well, the, the window stays open for 45 days where people can continue to, to take to take off. But then there's also going to be like basically a recruiting frenzy after all of these portal guys and Oregon is going to land. I'm not sure if it's going to be equal to what they lose, but pretty close. Um, and I anticipate they'll hit some big players. And so maybe that's a good point of transition, Matt, to, to kind of the positions we think or I think are worth looking at. I did a story up on Duck Territory on Thursday of eight positions that I think must be or should be addressed in the portal for Oregon. Um, I realized as I was finishing it that I think the number could have been every position group, basically, by the way. Like, I was kind of going through it, and it's like there's there's, there's needs all over the place. Um, like, genuinely, the only position group right now that I don't know if they need to address is, like, running back. but. I could even be convinced like, Hey, if they go find a really like a guy who's different and brings a different skill set, they could, I don't have a problem with them adding somebody. So um, I'll just run through kind of the, the positions that I, that I, I guess it's all of them basically, but like, I think they could, I'll do this quick quarterback. We don't know exactly what's going on with Knicks with Ty Thompson, Butterfield's already in. I think, Hey, not a bad idea to at least go exploring and try to find a veteran guy. It's a possibility that, both Bo and Ty come back and they add Dante Moore and you now have three quarterbacks. If that's the case, no worth, there's no reason to, to go add a portal guy in my opinion. But if one of the Bo, Ty, Dante don't end up at Oregon next year, I think it's worth taking a look in the portal. 
Um, I think receiver obviously is a position to address. We've got, you know, you've got Thornton now out of the port, you know, in the portal, you've got Coda running out of eligibility. Those were your top two Z receivers last year. You need to find somebody to start there. Um, there's some younger guys that are intriguing, but nobody that's proven. Uh, I think the offensive line, most more particularly right tackle, they need to find somebody. I think you look at the way things are shaping up right now and Oregon loses a ton of starters, but I think Josh Connerly seems very likely as your left tackle next year. And I think you've got several interior guys returning and Jackson Powers Johnson, Marcus Harper, uh, maybe Stephen Jones to fill that there. So I think finding a right tackle is a spot to look at. And then almost every position group on defense, you need help. I mean, I think defensive line is one where I go, okay, you know, they could have a bunch of guys back, but they could also lose all three of their starters. Like Jordan Riley is gone. I think Dorless has an NFL decision to make. Casey Rogers, probably not an NFL decision, but it would be his sixth year since uh, finishing high school in New York. He did a prep year and then five years of college. So how much longer does he actually want to stay in college? That could be a position to address, especially with Popo going for another year. We don't know if he'll get that. Um, the edge position to me is a huge one. Oregon, you know, this is a, this is a, I don't know how much we're going to get into this, but for another podcast, probably Oregon had three sacks over their last six regular season games and they finished with 16. That's dreadful. And DJ Johnson, who had six of your 16 sacks is now done at Oregon. So you're losing like almost half your production and you weren't good at getting to the quarterback to begin with. Like they need to find somebody in the portal who can have an immediate impact at off the edge. In my opinion, that's like position almost number one of need. Um, it was already a weakness this year. They need to go find somebody better, and they need to probably find a couple of guys because Swinson's now out the door. I think there's a, several of the younger guys who were probably headed there. Um, inside linebacker, to me, I don't. Everybody could come back, and they still need to address it. Um, Jeffrey Bassa, I, I did a story on kind of the positions and kind of how I ranked them over the course of the season, and Bassa was the 24th best inside linebacker starter in the Pac-12 out of 25. Basically, they're saying he's the worst starting inside linebacker in the That's conference. Good. Not That's good. Very good. So fi finding finding somebody there might be nice. We also, of course, have Noah Sewell maybe looking to go pro. Is Justin Flo content spending more time in Eugene, not playing and not producing? I don't know. Uh, could go through all these positions. Corner and safety, clear needs. Christian Gonzalez probably probably going pro. He's he's your only really capable. Should be going pro. Should be going. Should be going pro. Use your clear-cut best defensive back. Uh, you need to go find another player who can come in and be a plug-and-play guy. You might need to get two corners that can plug and play, uh, depending on how you feel about Triquez and how Triquez feels about playing corner long-term. Because I think his best position is probably nickel or safety. Uh, and then you got safety where everybody could be back, but kind of like linebacker, they weren't very everybody, good last year. Everybody could be gone too. They could all be gone, but they're also like I'm just like even if everybody did come back, I think he would want to go get some players because they're, they're they weren't great last year. And then the last one that I wrote about, and maybe the other most important is punter, which feels crazy, <laughs> but I mean, good lord, they had four different guys trotted out there to try to be the punter this year, and, and none of them ended up being very good. And obviously, where it landed was terrible because I, mean, I don't want to kick Alex Bales too much because he's taken a lot of crap this week, as and honestly, probably right fully so to a certain extent, but he's clearly not the answer. I don't think you've got Ross James or Andrew Boyle as the answer. So you have to go find someone in the punting game. So there's kind of a run through of some positions. Basically, as you could tell, there's like four minutes and I just said everybody basically that they need to, to, to hit in the portal. But I, I think it's kind of true of like, they need help across this roster. And I think um, 
you know, you might even add other groups depending upon what's outgoing at other positions. Again, we don't have a full list here. We, we don't want to hypothesize who might be leaving, but a player could leave here at a, one, at a position group that I feel is pretty set right now, and suddenly you'd be also on the market again. So uh, I expect Oregon to be really active, and as you can tell by going through basically all the positions, like I think they have a lot to address. They sure do, and there will be as many fish in the sea as possible this transfer portal season. Last year, the transfer portals saw over 4,000 Division One football players under the transfer portal between FCS and FBS. The year before, it was 2,800. It's going to be a lot of kids who went under the transfer portal, and this is the time for Oregon to address all of those needs that Eric just mentioned and build their team the way they want it to be built. Um, you know, we talked about this on one of the mailbags, I don't remember which one, about whether this, whether the defensive problems were scheme or personnel or whatever. I think it was largely due a little bit of both, but a lot of it was players. These are just not Dan and Tasha's players. They are trying to implement their system with a team that doesn't really fit it. It's, it's a different type of team um, on paper than what it, what it needs to be for the coaching staff. Here is your time. You know, everybody was calling for Tosh Lupoy's head after that Oregon State game and after a couple games this season. Um, this is the time for Oregon to address those issues. This is their time to get the guys that they want to get um, and the, the guys that they think that, they, that could help the program. Um, I think specifically in terms of positional uh, values for what Oregon needs to get in the portal. Um, I'm tempted to put punter number one, but I, I can't do that. Um, edge rushing absolutely needs to be number one. The, the thing is when you don't have a great secondary, but your pass rush gets to the quarterback, it kind of eliminates some of the, the pressing issues in your secondary because the quarterback just doesn't have enough time to throw the ball. When you don't have either, that's your problem. When the quarterback has all day to throw the ball, and unfortunately for Oregon, this was like the first year in the last couple of years where the Pac-12 actually had some decent quarterbacks. Um, and thank God they didn't play USC because that would have been a, a nightmare as well. They need to address the pass rushing situation. Um, we've I've, I've talked about this with James Crepto, the Oregonian. I think all of you guys have talked to him about this as well. He's mentioned that Oregon absolutely needs to get like the top two or three defensive end prospects in the transfer portal or whatever the case may be. And I absolutely agree. This needs to be the priority. Number one is getting these edge guys in. Tosh Lupoy needs to sell the fact that he's been an NFL defensive line coach. You know, he's been well known for teaching the defensive line moves. He needs to have someone like DJ Johnson who had a career season with him or Brandon Dorless who had another great year with him, you know, have, have, have those guys preach to potential players like, Hey, this guy is really good at his job they need help on the defensive line. You would be a great impact player. Um, that needs to be priority number one, in my opinion. I think second is probably punter, cornerback, inside linebacker as well, depending on what Justin Flo and Noah Sewell do, because they both have the option of going pro. I don't think it'd be a good idea for either of them to do so, and definitely a better idea for, for Sewell than it is Flo, but you know, we'll we'll get across that bridge when we get there. Oh, Flo's played like 180 career snaps in college. Like he, I don't know. If hey he's man, really... he's he's uh, he's got the decision. There's been sillier decisions before, but um, he's there. But they need to go after and get some help because 
while I love Jeffrey Bossa, I just don't think that he's a he's a true inside linebacker. I don't think he can he could fit there. I just think he's frankly, I think he's too small. And that when you get into physical matchups like against Utah or against Washington at points, especially against Oregon State, they just move him around out of the box. Um, cornerback, safety, all of those things. Uh, lastly, just the offensive line. I think you just need depth. They have on paper, you have a lot of guys who could potentially be a starter next season. Um, you still have recruiting that could help out, but I think depth, like Eric mentioned, a right tackle, um, someone behind a potentially Dawson Darmillo, who could be a starting right tackle, could not be. Um, just depth is always great at the offensive line. You've seen that the last couple of seasons. Uh, when, when a guy has gone down in the last like two years, there really hasn't been a second thought about, ooh, well, Oregon's offensive line is going to be terrible because this guy went down. It's like, no, it's just like a Lego set. You plug and play. Clearly, there are better players than others, but the ability that Oregon has had in the last two years to take a talented offensive lineman who gets hurt and replace him with another talented offensive lineman really helps. So I'd like to see those positions addressed. And again, like I started this all off with, there's going to be well over four, 5,000 players in the transfer portal this time around. Um, there's going to be options. And I think Oregon needs to hit on, on the top of the top of the list guys. Defense is the focus for me. Um, it has to get replaced, but I also don't want to minimize that. I think Oregon needs to hit the portal for offensive players at a couple key spots. It would be really important to find a tackle. Um, I, I think even though you've got Josh Connolly on the team, even though Dawson Jaramillo has got some experience, Stephen Jones may come back and has some experience there as well. I, I think you need to add a proven tackle and, the second one with Dante Thornton's transfer, I, I kind of wonder if you got to go twice now, double dip at receiver for transfer because beyond Chris Hudson and Troy Franklin, and look, I don't think they're going to leave, but this is the transfer portal. Crazy things happen. Would would not surprise me if Chris Hudson goes. I want to be the the guy. And and leaves. Um, not saying that's going to happen, or you know, saying I'm hearing that's happening, but that's just kind of the world we live in now. So I I think you look at the production that they have beyond those two on the team, it's very little. It it Josh Delgado, um, Isaiah Bravard, um, Caleb Chapman. You you've you've got Kyle Casper. Those guys all played in games, but. Uh, Chapman had like one catch for nine yards. I don't think Delgado had a catch. Brevard didn't have a catch. I think a Kyle lot, Casper had. A lot of these guys are, gonna, are probably going to transfer out anyway. Like I yeah. would expect Brevard. <laughs> I mean, does Chapman really want to hang around? What does Delgado do? So like, yeah, no, there's need. Like, so I think you got to go and hit the portal twice for for receivers. Um, but probably defensively is where the, the big focus needs to be. And there could be some guys within the league itself, you know, Pac-12, that Oregon could go and, and add that helps here. Um, and then across the country as well. But I'll, I'll pose this question. Even if Dante Moore sticks to Oregon like we expect, and let's now throw in the scenario that's a possibility, Bo Nix comes back. 
That probably opens the door for Ty to leave. I think Oregon needs to hit, hit, hit the, either hit a portal transfer, like a grad transfer type guy, or uh, maybe you find a, a high school guy that's a developmental player because you can't go into 2023 with two scholarship quarterbacks. Oh, 100 percent. You have to. Add, yeah, that was that was on my list as well. Like you have to find a quarterback. If, if 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 one of the three that right now are expected to be on the team next year, that's Nick Thompson and more. If one of those three aren't, you have to go find somebody. And I would be most comfortable with a portal choice, probably just to get some experience there. Um, you know, depending upon who it is that comes back, they probably have a different opinion. Like if Bo's the one who leaves. I think it's even more important to get some experience on the roster so you're not turning it over to a Ty Thompson, Dante Moore, and another freshman situation because that would be very, very uh, – it would put you in a tough spot if, if one of the young guys isn't ready. Um, but and, and then, of course, if it's Thompson who takes off, I still think it would be worthwhile to go get some experience for the roster, uh, even if Dante Moore is the perceived number two. And that's where it maybe gets difficult. Like in a best-case scenario where it's Bo and it's Dante – who are who are on the roster and you're looking for somebody a third person could be a tough sell for a person to come you know from wherever they've been to come to Oregon and be perceived as the third player start right off the bat people don't leave situations to go to other you know not great situations from a playing time perspective so that's where maybe that gets difficult but I'm with you Matt I think I think go find a quarterback if there's yeah, hundred percent, you got to have three scholarship quarterbacks. Like Eric just mentioned, it's going to be a hard sell potentially if you if if it's Knicks and then Dante Moore, just to be like, hey, come on in, just be the third string quarterback immediately. Um, that's a hard sell on somebody who's going to the transfer portal for all of the reasons that we discussed at the top of the show, where it's like these are opportunities, these are situations where a player can go and find a school that maybe they can thrive at. Um, being a third-string quarterback at Oregon behind a healthy Bonix, behind five-star freshman Dante Moore, isn't necessarily the spot where someone is going to potentially thrive in. But you can find a guy who will come yeah. 100%. Absolutely. I mean, these are there again, like I said, there's going to be 17 million players in the transfer portal. Um, there's going to be one guy who's just a game-managing quarterback from pick any Big Ten school besides Ohio State. Um, Purdue. Backup. Uh, good. The Purdue's backup quarterback coming to Oregon if he enters the transfer portal. Um, I'll find out who it is. <laughs> yeah, but that's the point: is you need someone with experience, you need someone with game managing situations. In a hypothetical world, let's say this this comes to existence and Nick's goes down with injury, Dante Moore isn't ready. You just throw the guy in there. He makes a couple passes. You rely on the run game. You just need someone with experience and. I could see them getting a, another freshman quarterback just as a de developmental guy, kind of like how I'm throwing it back way back here, but when Tua committed to Alabama, but they also brought in Mac Jones along the way when they had another experienced quarterback. I think it was Jalen Hurts at the time. It's not a bad idea. It'd be pretty smart if they did that. But if you need a quarterback, it's got to be someone with a little bit of experience in the portal. Very similar um, to Millen a couple years back. It wasn't a, a double year for quarterback commits that year, but I think Herbert was on the roster. Tyler Shuck was on the roster. Like they had a clear cut starter, superstar starter. We had what everyone kind of assumed on the roster already was his air replacement and Shuck. And they needed to find a guy that 
was a developmental guy in a couple of years. And maybe you hit on it and it turns out to be a great get or in two or three years, it's clear he's not at this level and he sees it himself and transfers to a lower level and plays somewhere else. That's kind of what they, they're going to need to do. I think you could find that player in the portal too. Like maybe you find a freshman or a sophomore. I think Tulsa had a couple quarterbacks play this season. Kansas had a couple quarterbacks play this season that were younger guys that had to play because of injury. And they were promising. They weren't maybe necessarily great, but they were promising. You could go in and say, hey, you're going to come here. 2023 is a developmental year for you. 2024, when Bo Nix is gone, it's you versus Dante Moore. You can sell that to a decent quarterback. And that, you know, athletes are confident and they'll bet on themselves and, and think that they could beat out a freshman. So, Matt, are we operating under the Bo Nix's returning perspective? We've been doing a lot of talk about that. I think I think it's real. You think there's a realistic I mean, chance? Uh, let's go back to the one that we do know, Jay Leaves. Yeah. We all privately on our chat were like, wow, that's interesting. We would have figured Ty would have been the first one to leave because Jay felt like from what we'd heard, from what we've seen, from what we were just kind of – assuming Jay would be the one kind of content saying, Hey, I'll be what I just described. I'll be the guy that develops in 2023 and then competes against Dante Moore in 2024 for the starting job. We kind of felt like Ty would go first and maybe Jay would leave regardless, but it would always would have been Ty saying he's leaving. So just me reading the tea leaves speculating here, maybe it's Bo has said he wants to come back. And that has quickly told Ty that I need to leave because if I want to play, I need to go now. I can't wait another year. Where now Jay's sitting here thinking, well, maybe I, I can stay because I got to beat out a true freshman. I've had a year in the system. I know what's expected, yada, yada, yada. I could be the number two and then battle Dante Moore out for 2024. I, I think it's a real possibility. It would be a huge win. <laughs> it's the biggest win of the, of the of the portal season or for, for Oregon. Season for Oregon. Yeah, well, and that brings me to the and I know we're not. We should get to other positions that that we need. That you know, some players that you. I know you've got a list, but like, I know it's not a portal win because I don't think Bo Nix is looking to enter the portal. But a big part of uh, coaching now, from a Dan Lanning perspective, and all coaches is is not just acquisition but retention of talent and. You look around the roster, you look at what's happening elsewhere, you look at the conference, you look at the national landscape. Oregon has a, a capable quarterback and can sure up some some of the rest of the, the issues. They could be kind of right back where they were this last year, where they're genuinely competing for something special. If Knicks goes, unless they find another Bo Knicks in the portal, you get a little bit nervous about what 2023 might look like. So... Bo Nix coming back would be huge for, for – I mean, I don't think that's that's obvious. That's like doesn't even need to be said again. But, like, the the potential shift in what the quarterback position could look like in 23 from Nix returning to him leaving and whatever you replace him with, to me, could get – will get concerning because you just don't know. I mean, it, it's you're just funny looking at the history of Oregon quarterbacks since Marcus has left of – of, of how many guys in between people thought were going to be really good that weren't. Obviously, the best case being the years after Justin Herbert, where Chuck didn't end up working out and Anthony Brown didn't end up working out. And now you've got 
the guy who did hit in Bo Nix, and if you could keep him around for a couple of years, I, I think that would be significant in terms of just keeping the program at where they're at. Because I, I, I do think you get concerned about what the year would look like in 23 if he doesn't. Oh, 100%, yeah. Um, I think if Knicks were to go, uh, I think it probably would be announced soon enough. But again, from December 5th, there's going to be quite a few names out there. Um, Oregon last year, you know, Knicks came later in the transfer portal cycle. I know there was no clear, like, hey, there's this period and then the next period, but came later in the transfer portal cycle. But pretty soon after an offensive coordinator hire, um, there's going to be names. And, you know, again, if, if Knicks were to come back, it'd be monumental for the program. It would just solidify the quarterback position for more than a year in a row. Um, two years of Knicks would be would be good. It'd be a nice learning experience for Dante Moore and whatever other quarterback they decide to bring in. Um, yeah, I think that's that's all I got about it. I think it'd be, it'd be great, obviously. All right, let's take a quick break, and we come back. We'll break down some of these offers that have come out and some other names maybe to watch. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, welcome back to the Autzen Audible's podcast. Matt Pramer, Sculpa, Jared Mack. Uh, breaking down the portal talk, and we've got a couple uh, scholarship offers that have come out at the FCS level to portal players. Um, I spoke with Dre McCray, a wide receiver out of Austin P. State University. Um, he is a Tennessee, Florida native. He is a sophomore, and he is a damn good wide receiver. Uh, you look at his stats, you look at his speed. Uh, was a Hero Sports Freshman All-American, a first-team All-OVC player in 2021, was again an All-OVC player uh, in 2022. This past season, 76 catches for 1,021 yards and nine touchdowns. Uh, big play threat, he had longs of 62, 72, 44. Um, Dre McRae, it's obvious that Oregon has – interest because they've offered but i think this is the big play home run threat that you're looking at adding that you want to add that goes with what we saw oregon try to do a lot of a lot of in a lot of games this past season by going over the top um we saw it with chase coda against oregon state we saw it with dante thornton against utah um we saw troy franklin against washington 
um, Franklin multiple times going over the top. This is another guy that can bring you that deep speed, big hitter type guy. Um, and McCray has a relationship with Carlos Lachlan. Um, knew him from his time at Memphis, knew him from his time at Florida State. And Oregon is going to try and get him for an official visit. He, he said he hasn't made decisions yet of what schools he's going to visit. That will come probably after this weekend when he gets a better idea of who's in the mix. Um, and then Oregon also offered an offensive tackle. I think it's both interesting. We both spent a long time, all of us spent a long time talking about the importance of defense um, for Oregon on the, in the portal. And then they went out and they offered two offensive players. Um, the second being a Johnny Cornelius from Rhode Island, uh, offensive tackle. Um, again, an area where you could have a pretty big open spot for playing time. Yeah, he's and he's a starting right tackle too, which why to me would and he's again, I think uh it was Brian Doan from our website that posted something about you know, a conversation with Cornelius of of how he's got like twenty offers in like four days or something like that. He's like one of the biggest names from an FCS level that is making the move and or gonna have competition. But he would be a, a, a both these players make a lot of sense to me. Cornelius in particular of Oregon is obviously still in with Caden Proctor, number one offensive line recruit from the state of and from the state of Iowa, that he's an Iowa commit. They visited him for the Washington game. If he comes in, maybe year one, he's available and ready to start. If they don't get him, and even if they do, it's not a bad idea to have a ready-made right tackle, and that's what Cornelius would be. He again, he's the, kind of that definition of a plug-and-play guy. Obviously, going up a level of competition from Rhode Island, which is FCS, to Oregon, but was one of the best offensive linemen in the country at the FCS level the last two years, has experience at right tackle. Makes a lot of sense. And if you could construct an offensive line, again, I, I to me, like that's the one hole right now. I think you feel good about Connerly at left tackle. You need to see it. We didn't really see him play a ton of actual left tackle. He basically played primarily on that, you know, jumbo package as almost an extension of like a, as a tight end, basically. Um, and then you've got your interior guys who have more experience this year. Harper's got a full year of starting experience, basically. Jackson Powers Johnson's played a ton of snaps. Same thing with Stephen Jones, who's potentially coming back as well. Dawson Jarmillo, there's guys there. But getting a actual right tackle, like how many times do we talk about the fact they just didn't have tackle bodies on the roster? They just don't have a lot of them. And this is what Cornelius is. So I think that would be a great addition. And then McCray is interesting from a size perspective. He's like five foot nine. He's got like a Tyreek Hill body type, five nine, one seventy seven, pretty compactly built. Also wears the number ten at Austin Pay. So uh, you know, maybe maybe a little bit of a homage. I don't know. Similar players. That would be a really interesting fit, um, especially if they use him as an outside receiver, because from a size perspective, he's he's not a big person. But if he's got the speed on the outside to win one on one battles could be a fit. I, to me, it's just kind of, it, it's interesting because if that's the, and I know they don't, you don't recruit this way necessarily, maybe at certain positions, but if this is the Dante Thornton replacement, it's kind of an interesting one from just a, a skill set perspective being so different body type wise, but um, seems like a quality player and somebody who's had a lot of success at, at a lesser level. Cornelius is, is very intriguing. One, because he's a Rhode Island player. Uh, two is because he's a really good Rhode Island player. Um, like Eric mentioned, he's been offered uh, like 20 over 20 times in like the last couple of days ever since he entered the transfer portal. Um, and he's good. You know, I watched a good good little bit of film on him. 
Um, he's another guy who could be a plug and play tackle, just like Eric mentioned with, which Oregon, I would say needs. They also have George Silva, who's rated as the number one offensive tackle in, in junior college by 24 seven. Um, we know how junior college has been to Oregon the last couple of years in terms of bringing them offensive tackles and TJ Bass and Sala. Um, that's just a, it's a, it's a good option to have when you're Oregon. It kind of gets back to my point earlier about just having depth at the offensive line. You know, maybe if they maybe if they land both of these guys, Cornelius works and Silva is the backup. That's a good one too. Or either either way, if it works like that, um, but just having depth at the offensive line is such a luxury. I think it's something that they with Adrian Clem are going to want to continue to do. And for McRae, um, really intriguing prospect. And just like Eric, I had the same idea of like, well, if they're bringing him in to be the Dante replacement. It's an interesting person to bring him in because he's not like Dante Thornton at all. He's, he seems more like a souped-up Chris Hudson and more souped-up Jalen Red, some someone who's really quick and explosive and can break off a long play, um, similar to that, like Eric mentioned, of a Tyreek Hill, maybe a Jalen Waddle type of player, um, just a smaller compact frame, um, has just absurd receiving numbers this there this past year for Austin Pay. I think it could be a really good addition. And to Matt's original point of how we spent a lot of time on defense and then all of a sudden they offer two offensive guys out of the portal, well, it is the FCS level guys who are entering the portal. I think offense can translate a little easier to the FBS level of competition than defensive guys. Not to say that there aren't any good potential defensive players coming in from the FCS level. Um, I just think that they're going to – I just think that offensive players are going to translate better. Um, and by the time all the FBS guys jump into the portal, I think you're going to see a lot more defensive offers going out. There's a lot of names now that you could tie back to Oregon that Oregon should have interest in, and I'll just bring up four names that I think makes sense Oregon to go after that are just within the own conference of Pac-12 players. Um First is Isaiah Lewis, a safety um, from from Colorado, and people are going to look. Colorado is terrible. Well, look, every team has competent players, has impact players that can help programs. We saw that last year with Christian Gonzalez, translated right over from Colorado to potentially a top ten pick. And and um, and, 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 and Oregon's best defensive player was a Colorado transfer last year. So if there's a trend, maybe follow that. Yes. Um, he's played in 43 games, started 19, um, was a, a key guy this season. Another guy uh, on a team that wasn't really good this season is Ben Coleman, an offensive lineman from California. He actually had a, an offer from Morgan coming out of high school, different coaching staff, obviously, but um, really had serious interest in Oregon. And then Oregon kind of went a different direction here. But 20 starts at left guard and nine at, at uh, left tackle in his experience for Cal. This is an experienced guy that you can add to the mix. Maybe not a superstar player, but a Pac-12 starter on a team. That matters. And then the big news is this week was David Shaw after they lost to BYU. He's like, oh, yeah, by the way, peace. I'm I'm, I'm retiring. Um, like what? Uh, that has opened the floodgates for Stanford. And I understand they have – not been good the last couple of seasons. Um, I think 
COVID's kind of impacted some of that, but they have some dudes and both of them are on the defensive side of the football. Um, Stephen Heron is an edge defender for them. He had five and a half sacks this season. Um, a starter for, for, for Stanford the last couple of years. And then uh, Levani Dumani, uh, an inside linebacker, maybe their best player, team captain, um, lot impact trophy guy, has started the last couple of years for them. Jared brought it up. They've got Oregon's got issues at linebacker. Doesn't think Jeffrey Boss is big enough at the inside. Uh, Dumani is. He's very good. And those are just four of a long list of names I've got. We can go beyond if you've got other names. I know Jared mentioned um, a couple, but those are just four guys that fill position needs, fill defensive needs that are within your own conference. If you can find them that quickly. And by the way, Oregon's got, you know, Oregon has various interest levels of all four of these guys. Like I know that right now. Um, are they their top guys? I don't know, but there's, there's going to be interest from Morgan here in all four of them. And there was a history last year of, of going at, you know, intra-conference recruiting. Uh, you think about, I mentioned earlier, Gonzalez, Pac-12 guy. Chase Coda, your second best receiver this year, former Pac-12 guy. Taki Taimani ended up getting, I wouldn't say lost in the shuffle, but did end up winning a starting job. It's another Pac-12 guy. So that, that was, I think that's all. I think that's, I think that's just the list. But there's three guys last year that they, there's a history of going within the conference. And it makes sense because, A, you are seeing these players on film throughout the year and you're familiarizing yourself with who looks good. And I think for all four of the players you mentioned, Matt, those were guys, at least three of them that were on my players to know list that I did each week of kind of like the, the best players in the posing rosters and um, hitting this, like those two players you mentioned for Stanford make a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, I, one of the things I think we kind of at the end of the season were kind of grappling with was what was wrong with Oregon's linebackers. That Damani is is a is a good fit in a certain from a certain perspective, but I don't know if he's got the speed. I, I'm not I'm not trying to just cut it down entirely because I think he could be a good fit next to Sewell. But I, if assuming Sewell comes back, which again is not a guarantee, but I almost would just rather go get somebody. And, and this is where it's really hard because because it's like I'm like. Let's go find a 230-pound inside linebacker who also runs like 4-5. Like those guys just aren't around very much, which is what made Georgia so good defensively is they were able to like have like 10 of them somehow on their roster at all times. And like you just don't see those players everywhere. And I think that's part of the issue with with the defense that Dan constructed at Georgia was the talent there allowed you to make up for some of the deficiencies that of what a scheme might look like. And if you don't have the same type of athletes. So to me, it, you have to be really selective with some of these defensive players. Um, Heron off the edge would be, I think, a really nice addition, if I'm being honest. like I, I think that could fit really well. Um, I'd love to get more experience and, and, frankly, more athleticism at safety as well. So Lewis could be a nice fit. Um, yeah, no, I, I think those are good names, Matt, and I'm sure there are going to be other names that pop up. Like that's the thing that's interesting is there's kind of preliminary names, and then there's going to be names that come out on Monday, and then there's going to be names that pop up in January. That's why keeping the the, the the window open for 45 days is so interesting. And so, like, um, this is very similar to free agency in terms of how you track it. The only difference being that the actual list can kind of grow organically differently than you see in professional right. sports where 
it's all contract based and the teams and the individuals kind of have this have an idea of who they're signing not resigning how the contracts expire all that stuff leading up to the start of the free agency period well the transfer portal period like you could see you know very few players transfer from a school in the first week and then suddenly for whatever reason nine guys leave you know all in kind of a single i don't know like uh, abruptly later on so um the lists that we're going to be coming out with even on monday's show of like who's interesting who did oregon lose we'll be doing kind of a fun recap i think that's gonna be a really fun show kind of on the fly of okay who do we like who's out there who were disappointed oregon lost does it make sense even that show will be lacking some of the clarity that we're going to have probably by christmas of like who even the biggest of targets might be because there might be other players that that jump you know jump ship right around bowl season and then even probably into the new year. Honestly, you're probably not going to have a real concrete idea on who all is going to be of interest until like the last week of Jan, you know, the, the last week of this whole thing when mm-hmm. there's now, there's now a little bit of space between the end of the games being played and, and whatnot. And that's the tough role for the coaching staff is do I take the guy who I think could be really good, who has potential, who is a high star recruit who enters the transfer portal on day one or day two, or do I you know, roll the dice and wait, and then on day 14 of the transfer portal opening, a, a legitimate bona fide starter from some big-time program jumps into the transfer portal, and then all of a sudden I don't have to worry about if this guy is going to potentially get to that level. I can get a guy at that level. Um, and that's what makes the transfer portal difficult is just for the reasons that Eric said. is like these guys, it's similar to free agency. They can, you know, they can leave their respective teams, but – you know, there's no clear, there's no concrete date that they can do it. This could all be decided on a whim and it could just happen. And I'm not saying that all players do that because there's, there's, again, these are opportunities for players to go out and get uh, the, the school that they want to go to. But sometimes it can just happen for, for whatever reason. Maybe, um, maybe there's a cornerback coach that leaves and a bunch of cornerbacks from one team want to leave or the defensive coordinator gets into, gets into legal trouble and then is fired from the team and then all the defense. There's a whole bunch of different reasons why somebody could leave a team. And that's the struggle with this, with, with this as a coach is do you, you know, push your chips in now and try to make the most contact with the guys at the front of the portal, or do you wait and then potentially see those guys leave and then get stuck with nothing or something? Um, I think it's going to be really difficult. I don't have any, I don't really have any more names to, to add to this just because, I'm st- still just time to wait. I mean, there's a bunch of quarterbacks who have entered the transfer portal already, like, in, you know, Cade McNamara from Michigan committed to Iowa already. Phil Jakovic from Boston College, who was good last year, was pretty terrible this year, entered the transfer portal with a year left. Um, there was another guy who, uh, oh, it was uh, Notre Dame starting quarterback, whose name I can't remember off the top of my head, just entered the transfer was, portal a couple minutes ago. I was yeah. just going to bring him up, Drew, Drew Pine. Eight yeah. and two was a starter, number twenty-one ranked team in the country. Notre Dame, like twenty-five hundred yards passing, went for three hundred three incompletions against USC in the final regular season game. Portal, right? Like he and was he was supposed to be the starter at Notre Dame next season, right? And he's shown his stuff. He's gonna try to go get to a bigger school than Notre Dame, which seems hard to do. But that's the thing. It's like you could have pushed your chips in for. I don't know, maybe you're a team and you're really looking at Jay Butterfield and it's like, wow, this guy could have a lot of potential. And then, you know, just a day later, two days later, it's just Drew Pine goes out there and is, is actually a bona fide starter in college football is just there for the taking. So it's going to be a whirlwind. I'm, a, I'm very excited for the transfer portal season. 
uh, just to see how yeah, we're gonna do, that. That Monday show should be a lot of fun. We're going to do a hot stove yeah, show. I'm excited. Uh, we, I knew what, what the term was. We introduced the term to Eric. Uh, he, he was un, unaware of the, of the term, but Jared's the baseball guy, so he was like all in on, on the hot stove. He's the, the one that knows the most about it. But I, I think Monday could be fascinating. And honestly, guys, like I, I'm not advocating for us to do this, but we could maybe pull it off. Some kind of portal podcast every day for the next. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like. Kind of like three weeks, four weeks, because, I mean, as we've just mentioned, I mean, Jared mentioned it, a couple guys going to the portal as we've recorded. The, the pine one is crazy. It's going to change the sport for better or worse. And high school recruiting will still always be important uh, and will be a necessity that you have to do. But you can quickly turn – uh, six and six year around into a Pac-12 championship caliber year, as we saw with USC, who actually went four and eight last season. Um, and they quickly went portal really hard. They added some key high school guys, and they're playing for the Pac-12 championship Friday night. You can see Oregon go portaling and add a quarterback as a receiver add a couple guys on defense and all of a sudden be in a position uh, last week of the season to get to the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, and and so this is going to be, I think, a, a, a sport-changing moment where the portal opens up and it really impacts how programs operate. Um, you can quickly turn around your roster. It was always said like basketball was the easier sport to just show up and get really good really fast because it's fewer players football i still think it's going to be hard year over year to to make over you know changes but you can go from a, a team that's competing for a pac to a championship to a playoff caliber co- competition with the right portal additions which is, makes this fascinating and, and we're going to get to a point here where major teams are adding like three to five prep recruits and like 20 to 25 portal recruits where portal ends up being like chip kelly probably is thrilled yeah. with the idea of just like i don't have to do any prep recruiting i'm just recruiting portal and that's already kind of the direction i know when, when dave woods came on our show the ucla reporter he said that's kind of already what I mean, he didn't wasn't that drastic but that they are basically portal over prep recruits and i think that could be i don't know if that's going to be the norm everywhere because you're still going to have a ton of these top five-star kids but with with the way this plays out, like the portal thing's almost more of a there's a little bit more certainty with the portal because you've got experience, but also because of the one, you know, the one time transfer rule. Once that player is there, they can still leave, but they have to have special circumstances. But they've already used their one time transfer. It makes them more likely to stick around. So it's almost more attractive. This is not to go down too much of a tangent. There's just a lot of portal thoughts I've had. Like a, a guy like a, a Dante Thornton or a Byron Cardwell would be attractive to another school because he probably won't transfer again. And if he does, he has to go down a level or you get a waiver. But he also still has, you know, three years of eligibility remaining, which makes him a someone who can be a long-term player you develop. So there's just, a you know, it, it's going to be a process for us to kind of get used to it just as, as the listeners of kind of how this all operates. But there's going to be... Uh, you know, the hierarchy will be interesting to follow of what's, what, what's the most attractive 
you know, acquisition option? Is it, is it going and getting the five-star recruit or is it better to go get a guy who plays one year at an FCS school can come in right away, has a great year at an FCS school and now you've got him and he can't transfer again, basically, unless he gets a waiver. So no, there's just a, it's, it's going to be really interesting to follow. And I, I'm, not sure I'm up for a podcast today, as Matt is suggesting. <laughs> I was not advocating. I was just saying. We could. We could pull it off if we really wanted to. It's going to be that crazy. It will oh, be that crazy. Uh, I sign you two up if you guys want to do a every evening at 5 p.m. and just give away your evenings for the rest of the month of December. <laughs> Go for it. I'll figure out something else to do. Okay. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad we, we'll, you'll figure out something else to do. Um we could do a. I was thinking for Monday, like a live stream, a hot stove live stream. I think Stream we should do a live does, stream. I think we should do a live is a good, uh, a good live stream platform. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fun. I don't. I mean, I think we've gone over a whole bunch of things already. Um, I think this is a good primer for Oregon fans or people who just don't know a lot about the portal and just what's going to happen. I'm just. Uh, I'm interested to see Dan's philosophy now that he has a real full off season to go into the portal. He kind of did last year, but there's a little more nuance and now he knows the team and the program. So I'm interested to see what, what Dan Lanning does and his offensive coordinator hire, which eventually will happen. I'm sure of it, Um, but it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm I'm excited. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to this pre portal show. We'll be back on Monday with a recap of the craziness that will ensue with the portal opening. Until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.